Uh, my apologies to you first and foremost, Josh, for having uh, recording difficulties. I wanted to mention to the listener, um, we're not we're not intentionally slowing down. It's just been a year. Uh, <laughs> like we're, I don't think. I mean, I guess we haven't spoken about this, so it's great to do some, uh, you know, back backroom show talk on the air. But little housekeeping. I'm not planning on. Yeah, not planning on stopping doing the podcast, but just had um, some crazy times. But You're just a big famous artist now. A lot of demands on your time. You know, I got another show, uh, not this Sunday, but the next. So, you know, uh, just just rolling with it. It's it is pretty exciting because last last year at this time, I was like, "How in the world am I ever going to get into an art show?" You got to know somebody, and now apparently, I have people who I don't know that um, are asking me to be in art shows. So that's very cool. That is um, very cool. Uh, the one thing that helps is people buying my art. Um, that's you know we can pick that up a little bit does that does that help does that help you get into more shows or that just helps you uh it helps me um not get depressed (laughs) (laughs) yeah money buys it doesn't buy happiness it does buy uh antidepressants though um (laughs) well that's good t-shirt right yeah 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 what's never ending to find the beginning So I had the art show on June 1st at Keck and that went swimmingly. That was so, you know, it was cool. I made a joke. People laughed. Um, someone told me, I can't remember if I mentioned this cause that was two weeks ago. Uh, someone mentioned like she had seen my art the day before and then listening to me describe the meaning of the stuff. She was like, I, I could feel that like, when I saw it the day mm-hmm. before, like that's what I felt in the piece. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. So riding that high, um, got to Thursday and I, uh, you know, feeling good, having a good day. We recorded, talked about, um, what was it? The Sagittarius A-Star, I yep, believe, we right? we finally talked about Sagittarius A-Star after having prepared for it for four weeks. Right, right. Uh, yeah, no, um, no bad news stories. Just kidding. I'm sure there were plenty that week. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, then Thursday evening, Miho and I are like kind of watching TV about ready to get to bed. And I had noticed I had an Instagram comment on a post about the, the art piece that's hanging in Keck and, uh, Naturally, somebody commented, big, big um, famous artist. You're going to get lots of comments now on social media. 
You know, I did, uh, I, I'll be transparent. I did try to boost the post to see if that would like, you know, get a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, feedback or whatever. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I understand. I'll get a comment, uh, perhaps. Weirdly, Instagram didn't charge me for boosting that for two days. It was like money spent zero. Your, your <laughs> ad is done running. I was like, okay, well, that, whatever. Um, and the comment said stupid scammer with a clown emoji. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's a really weird bot to get. Like, how does that, I'm trying to think through like the business scam of like, how does getting somebody calling you a name cause you to go to their site and then click on their link that yeah, has a yeah. virus? I don't know. Because usually it's like really obvious. It's like, I can get you 30,000 Instagram followers in five minutes if you just follow these steps. Or it's yeah, like yeah, some yeah. Uh, Russian sexy model who's trying to get you to click on a link to go see her all nude pictures. Right. Or the ones that I get in art are all the time like DM it to this big art account. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Promote it on our promotion right, yeah, yeah. Pl- spot. Yeah. And, you know, I block those accounts, even though they have millions of followers, which is, I don't, I hate. Yeah, they're bots all followed by bots. (laughs) And, yeah. (laughs) And then I, I, you know, I restrict those comments so that they can still like the bots because they'll go through and like your post too. And that's engagement. So I restrict them so that they, the like numbers stay there, but the comments don't show up anymore. Mm -hmm. Um. But anyways, um, I was like, okay, so that's weird. So I just blocked the person because I was like, that's whatever. And then I got a message from someone um, asking for a commissioned art piece. And he was like, I really like your style. Like, uh, what kind of commissions can you do? I've got an idea. And I was like, oh, yeah, I do commissions. Uh, In fact, you know, Joe Kemp like posted about one that I made for him Mm -hmm. the other day. So I can finally mention that. I don't want to call out somebody who makes an art piece, you know. Right. I don't want whatever um so that was cool and i was like yeah that's awesome you know let me know your idea i'm up for it um i'm like available to make art right now so hit me back up um then i got an email from someone else and um they wanted to know about like the i have a pieta painting that is i made during covid it's like of a homeless person that's somebody you know like the famous michelangelo pieta pieta is mm-hmm. a very famous theme in art of the virgin or, um not virgin mary the mother mary i believe holding jesus after the cross and he's dead mm-hmm. um so i have kind of one like that with reference to you know taking care of vulnerable people so they asked about that one and then they were like what city are you based in um and so i was like man this instagram boosting is crazy like i'm getting you know, they're going to my website, seeing an art piece and then emailing me. Um, so I emailed them back and, uh, or no, I, I didn't email them back. I, I waited cause I was, it was near the end of the day and I was like, I can just email them tomorrow. So a little time passed, we're getting ready for bed. And then I check, uh, my Twitter messages and I have three requests. One of them says scammer POS. Uh, another one says your art is so shitty it doesn't pay the bills so you have to scam people and then a third one luckily says give me my 260 dollars back asap please someone posted your twitter on reddit and people are looking for you Mm. so then (laughs) 
Like, what is going on? <laughs> Instagram, I didn't pay for this kind of engagement. Um, <clears throat> so then I was like really confused. I went to go check my Instagram request and I had another like uh, message request calling me a scammer. So I accepted the Twitter one that the guy mentioned Reddit because I was like, you know, at least he's telling me somebody is calling me out on Reddit for something. And, um, you know, I don't know if anyone knows this. I don't, I like I am an artist, but I don't sell like so many that I would charge somebody and forget to make them a painting. In fact, I typically do just half up front and then half like when it's delivered, mm-hmm. if they're fine with it. A lot of people are like, no, I want to give you the full amount up front, which is, you know, more than generous and helps me out a ton. Um, but I'm not doing so much business. That <laughs> I'm like forgetting people. And so, yeah, you uh, say that, but I, but I'm looking at you right now on our FaceTime and I'm seeing you in your opulent art studio with just tons of <laughs> like paints and works all over the walls, all of, you know, halfway done. Some just started. Yeah. I've got my shoe collection behind me. I'll just go ahead and blur this background real quick. <laughs> Uh, so, um, I responded to the guy talking about Reddit, asking him like, I've got, or I said, you know, I've got no idea what you're talking about. Can you send me a link? Cause I don't, I don't know what's going on. And he never responded. Um, and so then I went to Reddit, uh, which the format of it, like I used Reddit when I was in college, um, and I really haven't, I'm like, I'll, I'll go there to just sometimes see stuff but i don't interact like i don't have an account anymore Mm -hmm. now i do um but the format has changed a ton so i don't know how to work it (laughs) anymore yeah 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 how do you search (laughs) the different pages yeah yeah um so anyways i just searched my handle um eric beal art and one thread came up on a subreddit called r milking and (laughs) it's like what is going on? Um, and, uh, so I go to the subreddit and it's, it is a subreddit dedicated to people posting milky bong rips. (laughs) Yeah. Which is that a common term to call a bong rip? I mean, I guess if that smoke is really dense, it's a milk, it's a milky rip, but it's so it sounds gross. <laughs> it does it sounds like the least appealing way to describe <laughs> ripping a bong, that is for sure. <laughs> like I, I picture like instead of, you know, water in the bong, people are using milk and that just makes it even worse. That would then make more sense though. <laughs> I would I would appreciate if that's what was oh, going uh, on. There was some, you know, harebrained, you know people who like are that wannabe stoner level like that try to talk about weed culture are are all always like you know the water has this ability to take out all of the all of the you know harmful (laughs) chemicals and like so the milk thing would make sense if that were the case but that was not the case um and i found a thread about a guy that had pretended he, he was okay i found a thread about someone who they said they got scammed out of buying a bong from this guy. He got people to cash app him money up front, typically like $10 for packaging. And then 
he would tell them like, you know, it costs this much. And then the people would be like, oh, I'll just give that to you now. Mm -hmm. And the thread was from somebody who had sent him $260. So then I'm like, okay, that's the Twitter guy um, who lives in Dallas, by the way. Um, And I told him about this podcast to try to get him to realize I'm not the person scamming him. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe he's listening. Um, This one's for you. (laughs) This one's for you, Kevin. And so... So then I sent the this the story up to this point and the that link to like our group chat, but I think like you and was it you and Jort or TC and Jorts were like doing something and you were I don't know Justin was the one that responded at first it was like um, he somehow found a different thread because I looked through that entire thread and my name wasn't in it anywhere he found a different thread where people had posted my Gmail account, my uh, Twitter and Instagram. And they're like, (laughs) this guy has a website too. And so I'm like, what is going on? And then because Reddit had changed format, I didn't realize, but Miho figured it out. The way that you now post images to Reddit, you post them to Reddit. You don't upload them to like Imager and then post that link. yeah, yeah. And so which makes sense for their site, but there's a way to scroll through the pictures that I didn't realize. And I scroll through the guy who's scamming people. His cash app name is Eric Beale art. And so then we're like, okay, what's going on here? So then I'm trying to realize like what's, what's happening. People are calling out a Reddit user and the Reddit user has like locked his account because that's how Reddit works nowadays. (laughs) And, um, and he has like a status, which is again, that's how Reddit works these days. And his status is like smoking and working. And so it's like, okay, well, so this is the scammer guy, but people think it's me. Yeah. And so then I remember I got a message a few weeks ago from someone who sent me a Facebook post and they're like, is this you? And I was like, no, that's not me. And the name was somebody, Eric beal art like i don't know if it's their last name or what but it is b-e-a-l-a-r-t it was the last name yeah like bell art okay then that's a name i've never heard of that (laughs) and so uh then miho's like googling and she finds a facebook and it's the same guy eric bell art and he has a status on Facebook that is smoking and working. Okay. And so then it's like, okay, this is the guy who's the Reddit user and the scammer, most likely. Um, and at least that's what's going on in my head. And people are just thinking, I'm that person, even you, though you, can- you, the guy who doesn't use Reddit, has become a better detective on the identity of this scammer <laughs> than the people who do use Reddit and were so convinced that it was actually you that they had sleuthed. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing that was like so amazing is it's like just Google the name and it takes you just a minute to start linking some of these things together and then look at my page. My name is Eric Beal. Like I have it there mm-hmm. separated. My username is Eric Beal Art because I make art. And you can also see that by looking at my page for like 30 seconds. Like if I was. And you don't make bongs. 
You don't sell don't bongs, bongs on your website or on anything else. I don't push bongs. I don't make weed-related art. <laughs> but, you know, hey, I'm up for commission. You're smoking and working, um, though. <laughs> right. I'm California sober over here. <laughs> and so the the thing that was so crazy is it's just like, just look at the name for like two seconds and look at the page. Like, how crazy would it be um, that I'm using my real name and I have it on Facebook and Cash App and then on something that I'm posting my face on, I don't mention bongs at all. Like, that would be a stupid scammer to <laughs> actually put my identity out there using the same username. But what I found out is all the people in this thread, their username is the same on Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. OPSEC is not a very high priority for this group <laughs> of individuals. So then I'm like, okay, well, now this makes sense, but how can I talk to anyone? So then um, I'm like, all right, I'll make a Reddit account. I'll message the mods. I'll post and say that I didn't, this, you know, I'll, in fact, I'll make my Reddit account name Eric Beal Art. So that way, like how ridiculous would that be the scammer to make this account to be you know but that's exactly what the what the smart con man would do to throw everyone else off the scent yeah use his full legal name (laughs) (laughs) and so i make an account and i send a message to the mods and i try to make a post and it's not posting and then i remember oh yeah on reddit they have like a bot filter where you have to have an account that is so old, like a certain age. Right, so you can't just show up and spam. Which, okay, makes sense. Not really great in my situation, but at least nothing serious is going on. Then I scroll down and I see a comment of someone who said, I paid to get his personal information. How can I post his address and phone number on here? legally (laughs) (laughs) which (laughs) i don't think is well i'm sorry he didn't say legally he said so i don't um you know cross the reddit terms of service so his big concern was his reddit account yeah i don't want to get kicked off and (laughs) so then i'm just like oh my god like this is crazy they had they did have some personal information on there it was in reference to my dad, who I have the same name. So it's very funny to me that they were probably sending emails to him about this. So. <laughs> Give me my $260 back, asshole. <laughs> or send me the bong sure. at least. <laughs> well, the thing is, the person who paid for my information is not the person who's lost the 260 This is just yeah. a fellow traveler just, I just in fellow sunk, sunk cost here. I wanted to throw 50 bucks in to try to get some info. <laughs> no, no. This is just a nice friend looking out for a, a fellow milker. <laughs> and so, so then he's talking about how do I dox him? He, he's, I see his post because you know you can go to an account and see where else they're posting he's posting on ask legal advice ask legal experts how can i found this person who's scamming people i know his address how can i post it on reddit i live in canada he lives in california you want to do you just want to do your due diligence you want to make sure that you're doing (laughs) doing it all right you know you don't want to run afoul with any legal (laughs) jurisdiction (laughs) i mean 
the worst thing you want to do is end up in Geneva or something, right? <laughs> like, so, so then somebody else is suggesting you should send the cops to his house. Oh. That should scare him. Yeah, swat him. Yeah. Um, and then the person who had paid for my information said, good idea. How do I do that? Okay. <laughs> so that's at least he's stupid, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like I would call never the Mounties. Somebody, usually we just I'm use sure the, I could figure it out. We just usually uh, do the moose mating call outside the door to call the Mounties to our house. But I don't <laughs> think that's the way it works in California. Yeah, exactly. Send Dudley do right on down. <laughs> Um, so then I'm like, okay, this is, this is getting way out of hand. I've got to keep trying to find a way to do something. Like, I'm like shocked that the message, even though it's a new account, a message to the mods can't go right through because what else would happen if somebody's getting doxxed on Reddit for something? And there's like one person in the thread who's going through and like, guys, this is going to be like another Boston marathon situation. Like calm down. And nobody else in the thread knows what that is, which means <laughs> they're all too they're young. All... They're all too young to remember <laughs> who Joe Carsarnayev is. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know this, but I was on Reddit that day. People on Reddit thought they found the identity of the Boston Marathon oh, bomber, they, okay, and doxed somebody and swatted them and like harassed them. People from Reddit were going to those people. And like all that kind of stuff, and it was not the actual people who did the Boston Marathon bombing. Oh uh, um, yeah, no Boston so, Boston Marathon bombing was my very first day of being on disability. Hmm. So my first day of not working, but I was still like on call to answer everybody's questions. Was me at home with the with the twenty four hour footage of. Joe Carr and Tamerlan and then their active gun battle in the street, you know, a few hours later after they stole the yeah, yeah. Mercedes from the gas station and everything. So was that a, did you feel like you had made the right decision there? <laughs> well, it was weird because then I was just on the phone with my, the people who were up at the office being like, are you guys watching this? This is shit's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Man, should I come up yeah, to the office wild. and then we can talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is always weird. Like right after you kind of leave a job because you are like, you know, it was kind of fun just BSing around, but um, I, th- which was great for my high school job when I worked at the movie theater because then they would still let me in to get free movies. Oh, yeah. Um, but I also could just joke around and then a customer would come up and be like, okay, I'm going to see my movie now. Peace. <laughs> Enjoy this. Um, so then I, I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I got to keep trying. And I saw the account that had paid for my info. I went to their thing. And again, the way that Reddit is set up, you have your username, but then you can just, it's like Twitter. You can put like, I guess you can put a username and then you have your handle. Mm-hmm. And so his username, the name was Jonah on Reddit. And I was like, oh, that name rings a bell. I go back to my email. The person who emailed me is named Jonah. And so then I'm like, okay. Based off of all of these other people using their same names on all of these things, 
I'm going to take a wild guess. This guy didn't want to know about the Pieta painting. He's just trying to figure out what city I live in uh, so that he can dox me. Doing a little recon. Right. And so um, I replied to the email asking if he was the Reddit user and tried to explain, like, I'm not the scammer. Like, we found this thing on uh, Facebook. There's this guy, and he's got the same status, but that's not me. Like, you can look at my page. I don't sell bongs, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I was just like, you know, and I'm sorry, I have to explain all this. If you are not this person, it's just that I've got like, like people are trying to send cops to my house right now. And so I need to deal with this. If you are actually interested in the painting and you don't know what's going on, like I'll be able to get back to you tomorrow. (laughs) Please, please still be interested in the painting after I explain this crazy story to you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, you know, I'm not in the right headspace. And so so then I get a quick reply and he says, no, I'm not that user, but I did see something about that and saw your page and liked your art. So I wanted to say something nice because I know people are being mean right now. And <laughs> so, <laughs> so they weren't interested in the in buying the art. They were just trying to help you get psychologically through this doxing period. <laughs> by by saying i want to buy your art but then never following up yeah but by scamming you of wanting to buy your art right um and then i go back to reddit and i see uh his name is no longer jonah on reddit (laughs) so then i was like so you were jonah yeah you you didn't have to lie uh, i figured it out i didn't want to i didn't want to get found out Listen, buddy, you're finding my address and trying to figure out how to send cops to my house. I put together that your name on the email and Reddit were the same. You can't say no. Like, I know it's you. <laughs> um, and so... Well, just like they figured out that Eric Bellard and Eric Beal are the same guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so then um, I'm like, okay, well, that I don't know what to do with that. If he says no, like possibly it's not him. So then I go back to IG and I see I got another message request. I'm like, I'm sure this is going to be a nice one. And this person says, are you the scammer? I'm just wondering. (laughs) And so I replied and explained the situation again. And they said, sorry, I'm not going to lie. I am the account that paid for your information. So hello, Jonah. Again, (laughs) we're just talking to Um, each other in all the ways we can. (laughs) Right. (laughs) wanting to spread that you know again the opsec community is we just need to get we need to get all the social media platforms involved (laughs) (laughs) like this is not really building your case if you did end up like swatting me you know like this is but whatever um so they apologized and were like you know i felt really guilty about that like some of that information i posted is not mine to share blah 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 hey damage is already done buddy um and he's like i'll delete the comment and i was like you know could you help me like talk to the other people who are posting my stuff because i made an account but my messages aren't going through to anybody like it's probably caught in a spam filter and so he luckily went through and like replied to everyone who was like let's kill this guy (laughs) which like people on Reddit were all saying, you know, this like, uh, this guy needs his head bashed in, and let's find him, and all this kind of stuff. So two hundred sixty dollars is a lot of money. 
<laughs> to these people, apparently. Because like you, otherwise you could have had a bong, but now you don't have $260 and you don't have a bong. Right. The injustice. I mean, I thought that the the recurring charge of, you know, marijuana might be the more expensive thing and there's <laughs> other ways to smoke it, but whatever. No, 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 no. <laughs> How else am I going to show off to my friends on Reddit, right? Uh, so... So he goes through and he comments and people are, some of them are like removing my stuff, but then replying like, I don't know, that's exactly what a scammer would say. They're not the yep, scammer. Yep, yep. And the crazy thing is like the actual conversation with the Reddit user through the images that were posted, the guy's very brash. He's like, yeah, I do this all the time. You people are idiots. Like I'm not talking the way that that guy's talking. Like that guy is yeah. like, yes, I am scamming you. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? And if I'm going, I'm not the scammer just because you connected my cash app to my Instagram account. Like, wouldn't I still be confident in my scam? But anyways, it eventually died down. And that was, that was my week. Uh, but you right didn't after get swatted. Recorded. No, didn't end up getting swatted. Um, so <clears throat> that was good. LAPD's just too busy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they would have outsourced it probably to Orange County, the <laughs> county I live in. <laughs> but the, 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 the UC Irvine campus police show up in SWAT gear. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they have a tank. Uh, so, yeah, so that was... I mean, then then I, I was also getting sick that day. And so then I was sick, like, for that weekend. It was just a whole enjoyable time. So that's my story. What do you think? Well, uh, I guess, one, you learned that being an artist doesn't pay. Like, it's not worth it. So you should just stop. And two, um, I'm glad that you finally finally have a real life anecdotal example to be able to understand what all these people have been warning you about when it comes to cancel culture. <laughs> you get yeah. you get what Dave Chappelle is talking about now. And I'm just happy that do, you're on his yes. side. Yeah. And now to just work on a bigoted 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to go on tour with Ricky Gervais next and just talk. Look, I am a victim of cancel culture. <laughs> like every other victim of cancel culture i'm still making the same amount of money i was before yep. so me and barry weiss are best friends now yeah <laughs> i sign i, mean, I now I i'm going to sign that letter that matthew iglesias signed <laughs> <laughs> yeah hasn't tc put his name on that letter too? i think he signed it twice okay <laughs> Yeah, he's trying to <laughs> double dip Thomas Charles and TC. Yeah. But yeah, so that was, that was, um, and then last week I was sick and then just depressed from that and other goings on. Uh, so I was unable to record last week. So this is again to say, uh, it's not like, um, I'm having a kid and going to stop the podcast. We're still going strong. <laughs> just don't swat me. <laughs> well, what, what a segue. Um, so, uh, I guess to, to be uplifting, you know, the last two weeks, we've at least got to research a very uplifting topic that, uh, you know, should, should make you feel better about yourself. 
Yeah, um, it's one that uh, I think I would be so honored to do, and uh, really, the kid that I just plucked out of anywhere, they'll be really lucky that I chose them. You know, they are. You know, because think they're stars. Because the if um, if we're gonna you know take care of unwanted children the the right way. We should do it through the complete lens of capitalism where we have to pick winners and losers. And in order to have the few like cherished winners, we must create a bunch of losers, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the only way you can make a system that that works in this country is if uh, you have a whole lot of people that have to eat shit so like two or three people can really have a great time. I mean... I- yeah, it, I, that is the entire system of of <laughs> everything, <laughs> like from from you know stories of trying to get your kid into a preschool or whatever. Um, it sounds horrible, but that's uh, that's what we enjoy about this country. That's the F R E E D O M. Yep. Um, so this one started uh, creeping up in my brain when TC and I were driving down the road in a car on the way from Chicago to South Bend, Indiana to go see Garth Brooks at Notre Dame Stadium. Um, The Amy Coney Barrett news dropped of her oral addendum to um, the abortion uh, argument that had been leaked a week earlier where she had talked about we need to, you know, ending abortion is actually not a big problem because really what we're doing is we are creating more of an opportunity to have um, more kids available for adoption. And what the U.S. really needs is to just increase our domestic supply of children for domestic adoptions because that's what that's what we're all about here. And, you know, the... The the initial thing that you everyone heard and that was, you know, all the kind of underpinnings of replacement theory and everything that had been talked about previously on uh, lots of different right wing um, programming about, hey, you know, we're really going to we're really losing everything because of the demographics. It's we just don't have enough uh wasps anymore in this country to uh to hold to hold our foothold on on power and it's these immigrants coming from everywhere and they're having more kids than we are and they're just trying to eradicate the the white caucasian christian cisgendered race right now and it's uh it's really terrifying for the future of our country um and so one way to, you know, maybe knock a dent in that is to increase, increase the uh, domestic supply of children. And when you throw words around like domestic, like that's coded for like, oh, we need more like white babies or at least babies that uh, can be cared for by uh, more privileged uh, white families that can then um, inoculate them to their cultural and racial history you know just eliminate the idea that there was everything any any identity that they might have posed to whatever their birth parents um were and make them you know very whitewashed so that they are now acceptable in the culture that we want to foster for the future and um so you know that gets the gears turning when you're when you start to think about things because like we're 
we're inundated in America with stories about how like adoption is kind of like a, a fairy tale. Like it's a good thing. Um, like, you, like even just the movie Juno is a, is a good example of just like, oh, look, she was like staring down this shotgun and uh, of having to get an abortion. But then some Christian girl at the abortion center talked her out of it. And so now she wants to bring the kid to uh, to term, but she's only going to do it out of the goodness of her own heart because she wants to give it to a loving wealthy upper class white family who can't have kids and they just need this to the complete their life because they've always thought the only thing their marriage was missing was a child or whatever and i think the movie does a good job of showing that while that is like uh the upfront sort of uh scratch sort of psychological evaluation of the situation that's obviously not what is going on underneath it when you're talking about like the the adoptive couple's actual marriage relationship and showing that is actually kind of an unstable relationship and uh, merely adopting some infant from a, from a teenager who didn't want to have the kid in the first place wasn't going to be the thing that saved that marriage or made it good or anything like that. Um, and then you also have the weird uh, feeling of well, would it have been better for the abortion to have been the option? Like, is the worst part of that movie Juno getting talked out of the abortion? Is is it really some sort of, like, noble hero story where the 16-year-old girl, sh we should all view her as some sort of heroine, noble person who sacrificed this made this ultimate sacrifice in order for the betterment of her child to live in some gated community, even if it was going to be with a single mom and not with like a married couple because her and her parents couldn't provide for it because she was lower middle class. Like somehow that is like a good story. <laughs> yeah. The, <clears throat> The Amy Coney Barrett thing is so strange to me, though. Like, I certainly understand where she's coming from, like on a parental rights kind of front and, you know, uh, the racism and everything that accompanies that. But wouldn't a good society in your eyes be one where there is more people willing to adopt than there are children that need to be adopted? <laughs> like. Why right. would you want to tip the scales in the other direction so that like you're needing to just toss these kids into groups of adults hoping that they're caught so that we can, you know, like it's such a weird backwards view of the entire situation in my eyes. Yeah, I think that's kind of where the logic breaks down because if it's presented like from Barrett's argument that adoption is the alternative to abortion. So, like, the uh, the idea being that you get pregnant and you have a choice and it's an A-B decision. That is not what happens. Like, adoption is not the alternative to abortion. Um, adoption is the alternative to parenting. So, you have to think of it like it's more of a, it's a multi-step process. If you get pregnant 
and you don't want the and you don't want to have a child like or you you get pregnant you're faced with an option once you find out you're pregnant you either get an abortion or you give birth to that baby that's the choice that you have upon pregnancy after that that if you choose column B where you give birth to the baby then once the baby is born then you have the choice do I parent this child or do I give this child up for adoption for someone else to parent it so it is a false it's a false um, choice a false illusion of consent a false um, sort of evaluation to say that that Adoption is an alternative to abortion. And I think that is the way that a lot of people think about it, especially in like the pro-life community. They think, we'll just go through the 40 weeks of gestation and and shit the baby out and give it to someone who wants it. You know, what's what's 40 weeks in your life if you just get rid you know, just give it up because there's so many people who want to take care of this baby. Don't get the abortion. Just, you know be forced to carry it to term and give it up. And that's, a, that's an alternative when that is not actually the logical decision tree. <laughs> so one, once you start to think about it backwards, that starts to fall apart and not make a lot of sense. But two, the idea that any of those decisions in that decision-making tree are these free and open choices that anyone can make because they have all these opportunities and alternatives available to them. Like even in the situation, um, for example, I, I did a lot of research on Gladney, which is a center for adoption all around the United States. And one of the things that they really pri or really focus on is getting with birth mothers very early on. So like, teens who um, are just now pregnant and they had to go to they went to the abortion clinic but because they live in a state where at the abortion clinic they can't just give you the abortion the day you go in they got to do like counseling and then give you two weeks of wait time before you make the decision and you got to if you're underage you have to talk to your parents and they have to give you these sort of Christian propaganda bullshit about how dangerous abortion is versus pregnancy versus giving birth and which is a total lie it's much more dangerous to, to give birth than it is to have an abortion but um the the whole idea that once you're in that situation where they've scared you and they've told you that you are unfit to really care for this child and that the best the best future for this child now that you've foregone the idea of abortion and you're going to bring it to term is that for it to be with someone else and they say the best way to do this is that we'll take care of all of the birthing costs we'll take care of all of your health care costs we'll take care of all of this all you got to do is sign away just just sign these papers real quick and just sign away your kid just to to let us have that have the baby we'll have the baby and you no longer have to worry about the baby the the problem is though any idea that there is like informed consent by the birth mother is is garbage because she is being completely pressured by the circumstances and then even by the lies and um and then societal issues that are being thrust upon her through different viewpoints of different organizations that basically want that child 
Um, so even if the birth mother does sign away her rights to that child, she never actually could give consent because the situation was presented to her in such a dire way that she only really had one option. So even if she says that, but then even if later on she's like, I didn't really want to give up the baby. I, w- I felt under duress. I felt obligated. I felt pressured by the lawyers from the adoption agency. I felt pressured by the lawyers from the adoptive parents. That doesn't matter. Like just signing the paper is consent enough even though you can make a very good case that there was no informed consent or really an opportunity to do something otherwise. So there is a big sort of issue that's underlying the whole thing that has to do with the consent of the birth mother, the non-existent consent of the child, because who gives a fuck, right? It's going to go and we're going to totally change the name on the birth certificate and we're going to give it to these new people. And maybe the parents will want to tell that kid that they were adopted and maybe they don't and they don't really have to if they don't want to. And um, in 38 states in the country, like all records are still sealed (laughs) for adoptions. So like if you wanted to find out in later on in life, like no chance that you ever could. Um, So any of these ideas that like adoption is just an alternative to abortion as if there is some sort of consensual process of choice making that that is a free will opportunity of agency between a birth mother that just doesn't exist that is not the way the dynamic works in this country it's such a weird like situation looking into it like so I personally have some experience with adoption. I was not adopted. My dad was adopted and um his his mom, uh adoptive mom, um she like during the when when would it have been 40s I I guess, like worked on the Manhattan project unbeknownst to her, her and her sister mm. and both of them <clears throat> Uh, like died of extreme cancer and both of them like were totally uh, unable to have kids. So both of them like adopted kids. Um, And so my dad was adopted. He was born in 1961. And so he was adopted during this kind of time. And um, through like ancestry DNA stuff. And then my stepmom, you know, years ago, uh, like, tried to look into this kind of stuff and found like a family that we think um, is related. And so I've been able to kind of trace it, but only on my dad's like biological dad's side, his biological mom's side. um, She was from Albany, New York. And that's the only thing I know about her. Like I don't really even have like a solid last name. I don't know if she ever got married. Um, there's there's no records online uh she's irish Mm. my my dad's biological dad is irish like i can trace them all the way back to ireland and the thing with irish people um is they're very like they know that they're from ireland so they're not gonna do an ancestry dna (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) and like you know potentially have their dna mixed into this kind of stuff so that's like just kind of totally written off and that's uh one thing that 
you know, back when I spoke with him, my dad was not interested himself really in finding. I don't know if he personally was interested in doing it and just kind of had like built up a front of not wanting to do it. Mm -hmm. But I know he, you know, for a long time wasn't interested like at all. Um, And then in Japan, Miho and I did some uh, volunteer work. There's, you know, some foster kids in Japan, of course. Um, And these were all like, I think they were like high school age, maybe kind of young high school age. Maybe they were middle school. I can't remember. Um, No, they had to be high school. And it was a, a class where we would work on like kind of not interview skills, but like how to talk about yourself and uh, that kind of stuff. And then it was also focusing on their English skills, um, trying to be like, okay, well, these are foster kids. They've already got a very tough go of it. Why don't we try to help improve their comfortability with English, which is like English proficiency is very low in Mm -hmm. Japan still. It's lower than it used to be like in the early 2000s, I think. Like it's going down, which is crazy. Um, But, and they're like teaching English at in elementary schools, like they start them, I think like first, second or third grade or something. So it's, it's wild. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, have some experience like speaking with foster kids and all that kind of stuff. Um, not about the adoption or anything, but just that like building of, you know, kind of social skills and stuff, which I think is the big part of, really like the research I looked into is like the psychology of the kids that are adopted. And obviously I don't think anyone, even on like the right wing side would say it would be a good thing to like have, you know, an adoption kind of mill (laughs) where you're just making foster kids. Like you, right. I don't think anybody wants there to be, foster kids like i'm sure in the current system somebody would say i want a foster kid so that i can you know take them in or whatever that's nice enough um on its face but i don't think people want there to have to be foster kids so right and then the other side being that the people that want to adopt kids far and away prefer the option of a private adoption where they can acquire a newborn baby rather than adopting a kid in a foster program who's between 5 and 18 years old, has been through the system their entire life, maybe got into the system as a 7-year-old because their parents died or whatever or became incarcerated and they no people don't even though that's like the free option to adopt children that is overwhelmingly not the way that uh prospective adoptive parents pursue adopting children they'd much rather spend even like fifty thousand dollars getting a surrogate to like have a baby for them than do that than go the foster care system route right yeah i mean i think we've spoken about it but i like Miho and I have, you know, we talk about, should we have kids or whatever? And we're just like, if it got to the point where we're even like, we, we can't have kids and we would need to consider like any of the, you know, hormone therapies or anything out, like don't want to do it. Like that's don't care at that point. Um, 
and you know it's a personal choice for each person mm-hmm. but then we're like okay well would we possibly like adopt and then um, she's looking forward to listening to this one so that <laughs> she can hear about <laughs> how uh, it's not great but i think like the that's like the thought process is like you get to the point of like i want to have kids then you can't you know physically or it's too costly or whatever and so then you look to um adoption and at that point it's it's it is almost i mean it's like the scammer people like it's like a mm-hmm. almost kind of sunk cost emotional feeling right that right you've invested so much of your brain power to i'm going to have a kid we can't fail now that, <laughs> right it gets to a point where you're like I have to have a kid and nobody's going to stop me from getting a kid. And at that point, it seems to really twist. I mean, you know, there are plenty of adoption cases that are successful and happy and everything, but the, the like psychology of the people who do adoptions and stuff, I don't know. It's, it's such a weird industry. Like, did you read the Atlantic article? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that one gave me the creeps just because that, the person that lady's is, personal journey. Uh, and, you know, I, I empathized with her, but also I kind of found like she has some like uh, almost like psychopathic approach to obtaining a child. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I understand it's like a complicated path and you're I don't know. I mean, personally, I don't feel it like the I've got to have kids like. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's um, just like my personality or like my mom when I grew up, she was like, the only thing I ever wanted was to be a mother. And so I don't know if that's coming off of that of like, yeah. that's weird. <laughs> um, but I don't understand like the, I don't have the internal drive to like have kids. Um, and, you know, maybe that'll change. Maybe it won't. But so I understand there are people who are like that. Like I need to have a kid. Yeah. They have which, that very strong biological imperative. But at that point, it you, from my perspective, I'd be like, let's pump the brakes a minute and figure out why you have to have a kid. And that Atlantic article was nuts. Cause she was like, she was like, you know, it's ridiculous that adoptive parents have to go through dealing with all of these people lying to them and trying to get money out of them and extorting and us. And then they and just want to keep their baby after we force them to give birth to the baby for us. And then they don't want to give it to yeah. us. And then we and went the, and then one baby, we were gonna, we were so happy to get it. But then it turns out it has Down syndrome and that was a deal breaker. So we just left. <laughs> Yeah, that that one was ridiculous. We, for, we the forced other this one, poor poor teenage girl to give birth, and then it turns out the kid had Down syndrome. So we're like, "Oh, sorry, we never mind." Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. She was just like, you know, it's emotionally wrecking because you have to decide how much drug use are you willing to put up with from this mother, and it's like maybe if you had a system that <laughs> supported people, yeah. but. It's too much. Yeah, I hated the the one where she was like, we were so ready to have the baby. And and it was, how did she describe it? It was so gross. She was like, the baby was either from her abusive boyfriend or from a Hispanic man that she had an affair with. Who was no and longer once, part of her life because he was just living in Mexico and he didn't even know right, about yeah. it. <laughs> and and 
and when the baby was born, we were thrilled that we had a half Mexican baby. And I was just like, God, that sounds so gross, like to say. And, we didn't want to have to deal with the boyfriend anymore. Right. And and then she was like, you know, but uh, we're so excited to have the baby. But then my husband got a phone call and the way he was talking, it turned out. That I could tell because he was speaking Spanish that it was the father. <laughs> birth father. Yeah. The father lives only one town over and did want to have the baby and. Oh man, it was it was gross. Which and then what, was, what the what the example of that one was the birth mother was in a very tenuous situation where she was in an abusive relationship. She had cheated on the boyfriend, gotten pregnant with another guy's baby, and in order for her and the guy she cheated on with to escape the violent um, behavior of the boyfriend was for her to seek refuge through the adoption agency that would, you know, promise to pay for her health care costs and everything like that. And But that was also a way of sort of curtaining abusive boyfriend out of the scene. So he was no longer part of the picture. And they needed that sort of um, regulatory protection from him that the adoption agency provided. Um, but they didn't actually want to give up the kid for adoption because it was their kid. They just didn't have any other options because of their financial situation and whatever. And then there was an addendum at the end of the article that's, or at the end of that paragraph where she said, and now, uh, we heard that that baby actually ended up in the foster program. So I don't know, maybe like they, you know, couldn't financially support the baby after they both wanted to keep it and the state took the baby away from them and now it's institutionalized or it's in the foster system because they couldn't afford to feed the baby or whatever it was. But it was just an, a, an example of one upper class white lady looking as it looking at the situation as if all these potential babies are her babies. They're my I can. Yeah, these are right. all my babies. I could buy all these babies. Where and, and just completely looking past the complete systemic failure that has been done to the birth mothers to put them in such a precarious position that they have to then go through these these hoops in order to just try to survive or get away from an abusive situation or however it may be that of which they have no control over their environment or, you know, what time they were born or what class they were born into or you know, at what age their stepdad raped them or whatever it was like, they don't have control over any of that. And so to assume that then because those types of circumstances happen, that that then entitles, um, this class of well-to-do people who either have kids, but want to add another one or haven't been able to have kids that somehow they're entitled to these children because there are, poor um, people out there who can't support the children that those children are now entitled to these other people is is just like slavery <laughs> so that's what it feels yeah, like i mean it's it's strange because it the like and you know i i want to try to bring in the angle of like okay well what if you're a totally good person and grounded and everything and all of that kind of stuff. What is the effect of it? Mm -hmm. But it's hard because everything you look up is anecdotal pretty much. I mean, there's, there's plenty of research on 
yeah like psychological research and socio um sociological research but the thing that is striking that you have to then grapple with say you're a great person and you want to adopt um is the the mothers and the uh, potentially other family and the baby are going through this system they're dealing with these people um like throughout the entire time and for it to be where the other people that you're up against like again you're like we talk about like you're competing against these other people to purchase a baby like these other people have it's such a weird thing because they have in their heads i think enough um cognitive recognition of empathy to try to give you know the baby a good life or whatever Mm -hmm. and of course we all know that there's stories of people who are horrible adoptive parents and foster parents and everything but they have like that that much recognition of empathy i'll i'll give them you know benefit of the doubt and the empathy for like the mother's situation is so far removed it's adversary from it's set up as adversarial from the very beginning it's not and we want to do what's best for you so it's the best for the baby it's hurry up and give me the baby so we can completely get you out of our fucking lives (laughs) right right yeah it's um it's crazy because it's like it becomes this adversarial relationship and that's why people would still seek to have like a closed adoption so that they don't have to deal with the birth parents because what if the birth parents want the kid back and it's like well legally you know they have the right to think like reconsider it you know mm-hmm. and well, yeah, that, that's and that's the, the benefit of the people, protections but. of the closed adoption is that if you do the full closed where the records are sealed and the adoptive parents can change your name and they get their own birth certificate that basically says you were born to them, you as the baby have had the whatever rights that you had that were tied towards your birth parents are now expunged. Like even stuff like, uh, oh, you were your dad, your birth father was actually like some you know millionaire or something and he knocked up his his secretary and she gave you up for adoption well if it's a closed adoption and those records have been changed you when your millionaire birth father dies you don't have any claim to any of that sort of uh legacy or any claim to inheritance or anything like that that you would would have if you were his natural child because that has actually been expunged so <laughs> like th- those types of things are just taken away from you at birth and you don't have any say in it like a- as an actual person who was forced to be born forced to exist pretty much because people talked either talked your mom out of an abortion or abortion was completely taken off the table by the legislatures. Um, you were forced to exist. And then before you even like took 10 breaths, like most of your identity and your rights were completely uh, gotten rid of. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and when it comes to the U S like other countries are obviously not great, but um, I watched like a TED talk from this one person that um, she was adopted 
in the 60s, I think, maybe 50s. Um, and she was like racially Native American, mm-hmm. but was given to a white family, which at the time in America and probably still goes on to not so far of a systematic process, but at the time is very systematic uh, colonization was the U.S. government wanted to place Native children with white families right. to assimilate and erase uh, the Native populations. Yep. Um, and she was like telling stories about how she like grew up and, you know, she had like had like all these friends, but then once she got to like third grade, um, kids started calling her like slurs for Native American like tribes that were around there and uh she was you know like didn't understand why because she grew up in this white neighborhood in this white school and she was just like everyone else and it was just the color of her skin and then she um like one day her dad who sounds like a real winner uh was drunk in the morning like stumbling around their front yard and he had put like a like a statue of a girl in the front yard and painted her hair blonde and her eyes blue. And then like told the daughter he adopted, look, I've always wanted to have a blue, a blue eyed blonde haired daughter. And now I have one. What? <laughs> like, she's going through this and then she gets to college and she's like, okay, well I'm going to like join the native American, like uh, student organizations. And she shows up and, she starts to speak and she says her white accent comes out and all the kids there are like, you're not native American. Yeah. And so then like the, the, um, what was it called? The transracial adoptions yeah, is trans-racial another adoptions. aspect of it that is so complicated because the, the adopting, the adoptee doesn't have reference to their culture that um, they're like racially or genetically related to, I guess I should say. Um, And then if they want to try to find it, they people there are also not interested because they're like, you don't have any um, heritage. Like you don't have any relation to this system. And it's like, one is, you know, Miho and I have also discussed this Uh, in Japan. Like when, when somebody is born, who's half Japanese, um, typically they definitely talk about it when they're, um, uh, half Japanese and half white. I don't know if there's the same term used, if there's like a different race of person. Um, I think there is maybe Southeast Asian. Um, but anyways, since it's, you know, 98.9% racially Asian Japanese people in Japan, it's, really complicated but anyways the word that they use to describe half japanese half white people is just half and they just call the person oh you're a half okay (laughs) it is i mean it gives me the you know chills um and someone we knew was like my my uh uh, my what's he called brother-in-law his like ex-girlfriend who uh we loved um she she was half Japanese and half white and she like w- would go in for interviews at companies and they would ask her, 
which of your parents is the Japanese one. And that's like one of the things that they would base their decision on hiring her off of. Is it the dad that's Japanese or is it the mom that's Japanese? Like, mm. was it just an American guy that was here? Yeah, American or, GI came and knocked up some lady. Right. So it's like, I can only imagine the transracial adoptions are that on another scale, just socially, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it was it was systemic and systematic in the U.S. that they want them to be assimilated out you know oh yeah i think that goes back to the whole idea of uh, amy coney barrett's very specific wording of uh increasing the domestic supply of children for adoption too uh and i think that goes back to the other the other part of this too is just safe haven laws um the Mm -hmm. idea that they're inside of states there would be a place designated where uh, women can come anonymously and with no repercussions, they can give up a baby, you know, whether that's at the fire ho- fire station or on the courthouse steps or whatever. Um, and like Texas was one of the very first states to do this back in the 90s with the baby Moses law. Of course, they would call it the baby Moses law because it's the story of Moses. We love the story of right. Moses. We've talked about it a lot the past few weeks. He's a great guy. Not a Christian, but I'll let that slide. Um <clears throat> Anyway, the uh, I, I think there's two issues with the with safe haven laws. One, the idea being that the implication of uh, that the baby is one unwanted, but two also somehow wanted enough that the mother will go through the entire gestational process, make sure that the baby is healthy when born and then dropped off at the steps somewhere so that it can be taken care of by a loving family. It just seems kind of weird <laughs> if, if like it was an un, like the, the, the abortion option would have been the, the much better option from the beginning, especially if then in the safe, in the safe haven laws, if you have all these provisos that the, babies are supposed to be like uh the concept of these babies are like the baby moses like they're these perfect um unharmed children fresh out of the womb that have nothing but potential to be the greatest leaders in the country um type of thing like even i back when bush signed when he was the governor of texas and he signed in baby moses you know he talked about how you know, it's very important to save these lives rather than giving them up to abortion because one of these safe haven babies could be the next president of the United States. <laughs> and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if that's the way that presidents have been chosen. I mean, I'm looking back on the history of presidents. It's kind of been a select kind of a cho- choice amongst like very aristocratic, well-to-do families from very specific um institutions so i don't know i don't know if like a safe haven baby is going to be the next president of the united states <laughs> safe haven baby may be the next president of skull and bones <clears throat> but two it gives this false uh idea that so in america you can have a private adoption you can like get a brand new baby made just for you you can pay 50 to a hundred thousand dollars for a surrogate to do that for you you can even pay like a uh, if a girl at your church gets pregnant as a teen, you can 
pay all of her medical costs and pay her like an extra 20 grand for her to give you her baby if you do a private adoption between the two of you type of thing. But the idea of a safe haven law to save these children makes it such that really what we're talking about is doing forced birth on women and who are either probably single underage girls in uh and poverty situations in abusive situations um or do not have the financial means because maybe they already have four kids and they can't feed a fifth one but we're telling them that abortion is not an option for you and we're telling you that what other women get paid for and five to six figure sums for 10 months of their labor not and not just the word labor of uh of like giving birth to a baby, but like the actual work that you do to be pregnant and just stay at a child for 10 months and then give birth to it. We're saying that because we have these safe haven laws, actually, we kind of want you to do that for free for us. <laughs> could you, could you please just do all that stuff for free where we don't have to enter into some private arrangement where I have to pay you like 50,000, $100,000. Like that's really inconvenient for me. Could you just do that for free and then go through the, all the psychological turmoil of just getting, giving away that baby, like the day after you gave birth to it by handing it to a firefighter somewhere. And then I, but you also promise that the baby is like not fucked up. <laughs> you know, I don't want like a fucked up one. So, so please yeah. do all this free labor for me. And then I'm also not going to, uh, you know, give you any kind of consideration compensationally for any of the aftermath or turmoil or anything after the effect. Um, and that is just fucking slavery. Like that's just slavery. Like the history of slavery in America is that, we didn't just keep uh, bringing ships of slaves over from Africa, like until the Emancipation Proclamation. No, we were we got we got real ethical about this, you know, like at the turn of the century, early 1800s, saying, you know what, we just can't keep raiding Africa for all of our for all of our slave labor. We are putting a stop. We are putting a stop to that. No more slave trade on ships from Africa. That's not happening anymore. We're an ethical country. So what are we going to do? We're going to keep having slaves on our land and then we're just going to force them to have tons of kids so that we can keep this supply of slave labor up since we can't bring them over on ships anymore. And not only that, we're going to rape all the women on a regular basis whenever they're whenever they're in their ovulation cycles to make sure that we're creating a bunch of babies, even if they are mixed race babies, but those still will go straight back into the slavery pile. And it's like, it's the things we did 225 years ago and we're just like, oh, yeah, let's just keep doing that. That that seems to work. We'll just call it safe haven laws and we'll make it seem like the heroes are the mothers who are giving up their babies for a better future and all of this stuff when it's the same fucking system. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's... The, the system itself, like, for the mothers is terrible. Um... And the, you know, we've spoken about the people who end up adopting. And I think the, the thing that like people think is like the, the best outcome is 
the future of the child. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's one adoptees are much more likely to have psychological distress, uh, be diagnosed with mental illness, have substance abuse, and they're four times more likely to attempt suicide at least once in their life Mm -hmm. compared to non-adopted people. Um, Of, you know, all types of adoptions, uh, 74% want to know why they were put up for adoption. Um, and 65% want to meet their biological parents. Mm -hmm. This is something that is extremely common, right? Among these people. Um, but it's, it's like a human, I don't know. It's, it's the way that our brains work that, you know, we've spoken about how important things like touch are and how the Romanian uh, orphanages who like didn't touch children and it was just very, very sterile environment. They developed severe social issues. Mm-hmm. Um, if like orphanages, I think in the U.S. closed, like like state orphanages or whatever you would call them like 70 years ago but there's still foster care systems and the way that that system is set up it feels like there's way less oversight yeah yeah than like could be given in an orphanage yes they were bad 70 years ago but in a good country so i guess it's good that they were closed in the u.s because i don't think they would do that but anyways the the thing is I mean, there's a theory called the primal wound theory, and uh, it sort of states that the the nine months of gestation, the you know mother's smell, feel, taste, and sound are imprinted into the developing brain of the baby, mm-hmm. and it is uh, in like the unconscious mind, and when that is removed from being placed in foster care or even just with another family, it is a traumatic event for the brain before there's consciousness. So there is just this unconscious trauma that occurs in the adoptee. So it's like, it's like before words. So you don't even have like a memory of it. Like you don't even have like a, you can't even go back to the repressed memory of the trauma that you Yeah, exactly. Have. Yeah, it is it is a trauma and this is like um this is like a theory that's been published as recently as like 2015. So this is you know kind of current thinking on the whole like psychology of adoptees that it is the adoption trauma is like an unclaimed experience and a physical wound that just implants itself on the psychology of the person, on the adoptee, without ever being able to, like, you can rationally get over it, or, you know, get over it maybe isn't the right word, but you can rationally, you know, uh, deal with it, compensate or whatever, cope. Mm -hmm. But there's never, like, you, you cannot change that traumatic experience because it's one that happens at such a young age that there's no like thinking through that memory or anything because it's not a memory it is a biological process at that point yeah it's not like uh, ptsd from the war where you can 
wear a VR headset and right. recreate that experience so that maybe it can help you work through it so you don't just like, you know, go into the fetal position or whatever anytime you experience any kind of trauma. How Yeah, how yeah. could you recreate the experience of, <laughs> of being completely uh, ripped from your birth mother's uh, arms type of thing? I don't know. Yeah, so it's like the, the biology of it is so intense you know like we spoke about it a few like on the parenting episode i think like you know mice um virgin mice not interested in children at all Mm -hmm. and then just the mere fact of having a child causes them to they'll push a button a hundred times an hour to have a new baby just delivered to them yeah yeah yeah. like that's not even theirs um there there is this biological framework that causes the adoptee to have these intense feelings that are not even recognized as feelings Mm -hmm. because it's so innate in their personality and when you couple that with then the you know seven out of ten couples who choose to adopt do so because of infertility and then they have some sort of desire to have a baby but they have shame from infertility which you know i don't think they should have right but but it's a very it's a very common american exceptionalism problem that if for some reason especially for women if if my reproductive system doesn't work then i'm a failure as a woman so i almost can't even like let people know that my reproductive system doesn't work because then everyone will know that i'm somehow a total failure as a woman because my one thing that i was supposed to accomplish on this planet i can't do yeah it's 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 a i mean i feel like it's just such like a potentially dangerous mix like obviously again it's better than people just going through a system and being raised, but it is something that is so like the parents have the adopting parents have such a strong desire to have a child that they, you know, are willing to go through this whole system that is probably very difficult to deal with, potentially traumatic, um, costs a ton of money. So they want to like, prove and provide that they that this was the right decision Mm -hmm. meanwhile the child has a trauma that cannot be addressed really in therapy that well and not by the adoptive parents they're not and not by the adoptive parents (laughs) and not by you know if you were able to find the biological parents if they're of a different culture you can't just go to that culture and suddenly feel Right. Like you have this trauma taken care of. So it is something that is potentially so difficult to deal with because the, like, I don't know. I'm trying to say like the, the child needs to have the best um, psychological care while the parents are almost not wanting them to reconnect with. Right that biological or that genetic um heritage or whatever and that's know? and that's the thing that the a couple of the research papers i showed especially on adoptive parents that the tendency even in open adoptions where they say from the beginning that we're going to have an open relationship with the birth mother we're going to keep them involved like all of that the tendency is 
to try to circumvent that relationship from existing. And it's, it's just, it's so much easier in that environment to be like, oh, well, uh, you know, your birth mom gave you up because she was doing what was best for you because we could provide you a better life. Which right. then implies that you probably don't want to really hang out with her because she's like a not good person that couldn't provide for you because, you know, she totally gave you up. Like what kind of a mother gives you up? But also she's a hero who gave you up so you could have the best life possible. But also she's a terrible person because she gave you up. <laughs> so, so. And, and couple that with like this biological need to reconnect with that mother that the adoptee has, that they have such a conflict in their brain from the time that they're told they're adopted mm -hmm. for potentially the rest of their lives that this person that they their brain they don't even realize that they need to have this connection with or needed to have this connection with is uh you know at best called someone who is an unfit mother yeah and the idea that uh the the birth the adoptive parents get to control all the information um, so they can craft the narrative that the birth, your birth mother, we saw, we saw her, the last day we saw her was the day that you were born. And then, uh, we try to get in touch with her all the time, but we just can never get in touch with her when maybe the reality is that the birth mom has been like faithfully sending stuff to the adoption agency being like, I know they need, they wanted to know what my health records were and my family health history was just in case anything ever pops up with the kid with a cancer history or a heart defect or whatever, you know, they want to know all that. So I've been submitting all this stuff to the adoption agency, thinking that all that information is making its way to faithfully to the adoptive parents. And they're using that to help, you know, raise my kid. Um, but they and they could turn around and just lie about all of that to the kid. Like the kid doesn't have any autonomy over the information. It's not like the kid gets a has a special mailbox where just like a your birth mom sends you stuff. Um, and in you know since in thirty eight states, like the records are still sealed. Uh, like after the exchange happens. You 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 might have a birth parent who has spent her entire life trying to keep track of you and trying to locate you and trying to make reach out and make contact with you and get to know you. But because it's all been sealed, she has no way of really figuring out who you are. And so you can either think, oh, wow, the system is set up such that my adoptive parents are cloaking the truth from me and I'm not able to reach this person who really is trying to reach me. Or you can have the much more probably uh, logical kind of human response of, huh, I never even heard this lady ever even try to attempt me. She obviously doesn't love me. Um, it's only my adoptive parents who ever gave a shit about me, but I still have a big identity crisis and this still affects me psychologically and I don't know why I have these feelings of resentment and I don't know why all these things. Because, because you haven't been able to even know that the attempts have been made to reach out and contact you, you have already decided to write that person off because that was shrouded from you from the beginning. Um mm -hmm. So there's all that type of stuff. And then when you get to the psychological sort of uh, statistics on it, like, like you mentioned, so 
adoptive children in the United States make up less than 2% of all of the children in the United States at any given time. We're just talking about children between infants and 18 years old. Um, however, of that group of all of the children in the United States, adoptive children make up over 15% of those that are in mental health care facilities and in counseling and in psychological facilities. Um, part of that is because the foster system is set up to where like, oh, this kid's got behavioral issues, institutionalize them. Like I, I don't really, it's not my kid. I'm not, I don't really want to do the parenting work to help this kid. So let's just throw them, just institutionalize the kid. So it's this thing that we used to do to orphans and, uh, women who got who got a little too mouthy and we would just throw them in the insane asylum that's pretty much what we still do to <laughs> to kids now who are adopted or in the foster care system so the idea that we should then be like wow i really love this system you know what let's get rid of abortion and really increase the numbers of these kids that are in this system seems incredibly morally fallible and unethical to me <laughs> just maybe maybe address the system the system problems and make it such that you don't you try to eradicate the even the need for adoption and then have adoption be this large safety net that you have to take care of the actual kids who make it you know through the system cracks and you've got to have this safety net for them but by providing no safety net for either them or their parents and then saying, you know, what's the big problem is abortion <laughs> um, seems to be just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it's like the one of the problems that like another like uh, study on the parents who adopt it, it. I mean, I guess it was more of an analysis, not really a study, but all of like the the trauma that the um, adoptee goes through, and not talking about like the the primal wound theory, but this is like the trauma of their foster care system, or um, you know, really like the thing is if if your child if a child isn't adopted before they're like eighteen months old, they're like extreme risk for behavioral and mm-hmm. social issues. Um, just because at that point you start to consciously recognize yourself as a self. And that means you recognize like, I'm not in, yeah, I don't have a parent. I'm totally kind of undesirable. Right. Um, and so that starts to build this like trauma up and parents who, uh, you know, the adoptive parents, they have like a large number of times different, like ways that they deal with the trauma and they're not good. They like have either um, absence, absence of effects in the narrative or denial of the significance of the child's traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. Like they just deny it even happened or deny they have health problems um, or they can't even verbally talk about the child's history. Like they just have blanks in their head pretty much. Mm -hmm. Um, or they have uh, perceptions of the uncanny concerning the child. 
And this is one that is super interesting because this is what I was talking about with the transracial adoptions or transcultural too. Um, those are feelings of rejection in relation to the child. So one thing that, that adoptees develop, especially when they're kids, is they realize they're not in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. So they try to take control by, they try to like parent the parents, like they try to teach them no, this is actually how you're supposed to cook this meal or this is how you're supposed to put makeup on um, and boss around like the other siblings and stuff like that. Or they become super quickly affectionate with strangers. And this is like a psychological thing that every stranger is a potential parent. Yeah, yeah. You're like so the puppy. They, at, you're the puppy at the pound who's like trying to give puppy dog eyes to every single perspective owner that walks the door hoping that they're the next one that's going to take you home. Right. And this, this occurs too, after they're adopted. Mm -hmm. So the adopting parents, they're like, well, I know you're not my parents. This person at the bus stop might be my parent. Like, can you get away and stop bothering us? And those are feelings that like the, the parents then feel rejected in relation to the child, but also they devalue the culture. Like there was this one example where this mother um, adopted a child from Russia and the infant had been repeatedly left alone for several days and its parents were alcoholics. And so the way she describes the child's upbringing is there's a lot of alcohol and violence over there. So kind words, things like that, it's not in their culture. And just completely like mentally writes off Slavic culture as they're all violent alcoholics. So then this child is raised by this person thinking and growing up with like no recognition of their culture. Even if they want to do it, they internalize feeling bad about it Mm -hmm. because they were told their entire lives that, you know, well, your parents gave you up because... That's just what they do in Russia. Like they don't care about their children. And so you get this like horrible reflection (laughs) from the parents. There's the potential to just develop this totally misguided uh, relationship with the adoptee. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. I, I mean, it's hard to talk about the good examples because it just seems like there's the potential for all of these bad ones. And those are things, you know, that can be like a loving parent who is just like, ugh, Slavics. Yeah. Yeah. Their own ignorance or naivete taints every, and that happens between birth parents and their birth children too, you know, where they deride other cultures and other things like that. Uh, You know, I think the um, one, like, the, the other thing is the psychological effects are also happening to the adoptive parents and to the birth parents. Like they're having the, the most uh, uh, dangerous sort of psychological effects seem to be the ones that are encountered by the birth mothers because um, the grief that they experience after giving up the child, even if they had feel like they had full consent in giving up the child um 
the, the research paper that I was reading on that showed that it measured as equivalent or greater than uh, the grief of losing a child through death um, because there's also the shame associated with being the one who voluntarily gave up the child. And mm. in as, as much as the culture seems to be to promote that adoption is this intrinsic good thing, um, we have a very embedded history of 150 years of the adoption process in America of where it has been a specific thing of shame especially towards the the birthing parents of the children who are given up for adoption um and so like their rates of suicide are incredibly high um and interestingly that type of you don't see that mirror effect in um women who have abortions, especially women who have abortions very early on. And it's like, uh, it's a very easy medical procedure. Um, they don't have the same level of grief and shame and suicidal ideation and I problems with identity and dissociation and things like that at the same rates as birth mothers who give their kids up for adoption. <laughs> So if we're just looking at a mental health type of baseline here, um, the mental health outcomes are pretty poor for all parties involved in the adoptive cycle, except maybe the adoption agency who might make some money. Um, and again, thinking that that is a worthwhile alternative to having legalized abortion in this country uh, is just a complete false narrative. Um, and then, uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, that, um, sorry, I, I lost, I lost what my next thing was. Go ahead. No, you're good. Um, one other aspect of it that I found pretty interesting, and this is, you know, kind of a, I guess, controversial theory, um, because it's fairly new, is there's this like researcher named uh, uh, Robert Plowman. Uh, he works at the King's College in London. He's, he's uh, not English, so he's uh, what we would call a traitor, mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, and he studies like intelligence and genes, essentially trying to find what is the balance of nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. And that means that he's done his own studies and meta analyses on like adoptions and uh twin adoptions which you know happens but sounds yeah. crazy that well there was a, a twin, movie but... about that not too long ago what was the no the triplet kids the three yeah, triplet yeah. guys that were all adopted to different families well this this one is studying like the uh, adopted kid they give up one of the kids oh wow and they keep one that's of them, a social which... experiment <laughs> yeah um <laughs> And so he he did that, and then he also had like these control families that are just biological uh, families that raise their own kids, and found in the control families they have similar IQs between the parents and the children, and they have similar like behavioral um, qu 
quotients, I suppose you would call them, mm-hmm. like different kind of uh, statistical ways to analyze behavior. And that works in biological families, but that makes sense. They raise the kid, you know. Then they looked at adoptees sim- and being in relation to their biological parents and their adoptive parents. And the math has come out to 50% of individual differences in intelligence is uh, inherited. Mm. So it is strictly genetics when it comes to intelligence. Mm-hmm. The If it was a smart, uh, you know, high IQ couple, I guess you should say, that gives up a child and a low IQ family adopts them, the child will have a high IQ. Um, and if it's the reverse, that it was a low IQ family that gave it up for adoption, having high IQ people adopt the child, there's no, there's zero relation to the adoptive parents IQ and the adoptees IQ. Yeah. Same with like behavioral personality characteristics and stuff like that. The, the other, so their genetics, like, you know, that relates to genetics, the nurture aspect of it, um, being raised in that household, it is zero on their IQ and behavioral quotient, I suppose. Meaning there's like another 50% of some sort of thing that it seems like it's socioeconomic, mm-hmm. um, which totally makes sense. But to know that like, if you're a loving household who uh say you both have really successful jobs or say you know hey you're two doctors that adopt someone and you're going to get them interested in science from a very young age you have zero influence on them like being able to like intelligently understand science and stuff right right which you might be able to provide them uh the playing field right but you don't get to decide how talented they are on the playing field <laughs> yeah they, like they might Which, have been in a situation where they never got to go to that field to play the game in another in a, in their birth parent situation or whatever it might be but you don't get to define the um the attribute acumen or where where the where they cap out on their attribute levels like that's set by 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 nature not by nurture yeah it's like this guy in one of his interviews is funny because he was like you know people who don't have kids they feel like they know how to raise kids people who have one kid they definitely know how to raise kids people who have two kids realize they have no idea how to raise kids (laughs) (laughs) because (laughs) the personalities everything worked for number one is not working for number two i guess we didn't know anything that we thought we knew yeah, that's like when I was like, I was a firstborn for my parents. Um, and I was an extremely quiet kid. I I started speaking at six months and then was having full sentences at nine months. And like, I, you know, learned to read um, quite proficiently, pretty young. And, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff up to the age of like four and a half. And they were just like, we're the perfect parents. Yeah. We like, obviously like this kid, I mean, when I was like two and three, I would go because they, I guess at that time, like whenever I would not have daycare or whatever, I would go with my dad to court 
like in Dallas and I would sit there in court as a baby and no crying, no mm-hmm. making a noise, just sit there quietly. And um, so they were like, you know, we're geniuses of raising kids. And then my sister was born and <laughs> she was the type of kid to like, you know, grab the car keys and then they would just take them out of her hand and she would just give them a death stare and then reach for the car keys again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's so weird, but it is just such a genetically uh, infused thing when it comes to personality, intelligence, all of that, that it seems frightening from that standpoint yeah. to adopt kids. Yeah, and that goes back to the the parenting episode where we talked about how parent modern parenting is a social construct like the idea of parenting uh in very early hominids that were in very small groups was the idea that it took a village like it wasn't the idea of these are mine don't don't even talk to mine these are mine you stay away from mine right. i'll stay away from yours you don't you don't even look at mine don't you dare tell my kid that they did something bad only i can discipline my kid like none of that was the, was the evolutionary imperative <laughs> like that is a complete uh social construct of of modern of modernity yeah i mean it's it's wild um the thought process of like adoptions now too is so you know now there's there's much more like uh what are they open adoptions mm-hmm. where the the or at least those are the ones that are advertised <laughs> those <laughs> yeah, are the yeah. anecdotal stories that when you go to like the actual adoption sites where they list all their like positive stories like they're always about like the open adoption where the mother is still involved and we all go to lunch every day and look he came to the kindergarten graduation and it's all wonderful and our it's great because our kids now have like four grand five grandparents when they would have only had two or what you know whatever the bullshit is but they have to push those stories because whenever I was looking at like actual research data or looking for real numbers people who did like actual studies on the outcomes those are all pretty dire like there's there's not a big they, they don't lead those off with like some well here's an uplifting anecdote about an, a warm a, adoption story that all worked out for everybody but then in the vast majority of cases here's how the numbers break down <laughs> like on, only right. the adoption centers um and, and basically the brokers for child sale are the ones who really push these uh these 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 very cool, warm, loving narratives of how the adoptions all work out. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um, but yeah, so it, it seems like, you know, you can be the perfect person to adopt kids and still just have a, you know, it's feels bad to say like a terrible time doing it, but it is... Like, that's an option, you know? Like, that's mm-hmm. the thing with, like, having kids is you're signing up your entire rest of your life to um, deal with this thing. And there's so many things that can go wrong that you really need to consider, like, how you're going to handle it when your adopted kid is, like, hates you because yeah. they don't have, and on, like, a, deep level that they can't even 
in therapy work through until there's you know years into it yeah um like that's that's just a a possibility well (laughs) which is scary and i guess my last my last little note that i had was the perspective on adoptions too is that when we think about adoptions we always think about those stories that are like the juno type of movie story or whatever when the reality is like in america Every year, between a hundred thousand and a hundred fifty thousand kids are uh, adopted, and one that doesn't sound like that huge of a number when you think of like the size of the country and everything. And well, it's only like a hundred thousand. But the other thing is that the vast majority of those kids that are adopted are in an adoption process where it's a step parent that is adopting them, like. Or another biological relative, like a uh, grandparent, is adopting the kid because mom can't take care of it or mom and dad died, so the grandparents are adopting it. Or mom divorced husband, now she's got a new husband, and old husband doesn't want anything to do with the kids, so new dad is going to adopt them so that old husband no longer has to deal with child support and all that crap and they don't have to chase him around the country anymore trying to get $500 from him. That's the majority of adoptions in America is those types of situations. Like the adoptions from the foster care system is the next level. And then this tier of adoptions that we're talking about is the third level. So one, for it to be like, bandied by the Supreme Court as this big alternative to this great problem that the entire nation is suffering from, from abortion, and us Catholics have to do something about it. Um, that, that just also shows you how much of a sort of boogeyman scare tactics issue it is u- abortion is used as and how this is used as a cudgel to try to fight against that issue by the right. Um, we're not talking about millions of children on the verge of being trafficked if they don't get put in adoptive homes right away. There's no, there's no thing like that going on. The numbers are much more uh, modest and uh, sort and pretty manageable if we could just like approach it from like a systemic government welfare type of thing. Like we're not talking about. <laughs> you know, 20 million kids that need to get taken care of in, in America. It's not that big of a number. We could really fix this without much, much money and effort. Um, but instead we like to, it's good to have this as a counterbalance against the, uh, 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 for the pro-lifers to use against all the abortion arguments. So we are thus sacked and completely encumbered by this, um, system that is a holdover from slavery, and it just really sucks that we can't just be like, "Oh wow, this is a very, this is actually a pretty simple problem that we could address with without too much of a bureaucratic headache." But man, but how how then would we be able to combat on uh, falsified logical rhetorical arguments that abortion is bad? <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those. Uh good problems to have for political reasons, you know? Right. Which, not good. Not good at all. 
So anyway, if you're adopted or if you're adopting or if you think that we got this all wrong, let us know. Talk to us. We're happy. We're happy to have a back and forth, and uh, we we'll happily share all of our research with you as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't think my personal um, experience with adoption is the uh, be all end all. So I'm sure there are good situations out there, but you know, being able to listen to the ticket over the years is it's. That's only a small slice of it, but um, you know, Danny mentioned it. What was it? Two weeks ago, when it was his last show, or yeah, he announced he was leaving. That he like, you know, you you for some reason the ticket is made up of people who go on there and say actual things that are happening in their life. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, so it is you know being able to hear his story some and. Um, of course, Dave Lane's story, um, listening to the orphanage. It was, uh, it's enlightening to hear because they obviously had to go through that situation of, do I want to contact my parent? Do I, you know, now I know who it is. Do I want to contact my father? That kind of stuff. So that's, seems like a tough situation. So, um, definitely hope that this didn't come off as like, thinking of it in a callous way or anything like it is definitely a sensitive situation that is very tough to deal with till next week bye